Hello everyone and welcome to the Winging It F1 podcast. I'm here with Freddie and Nigel as usual and we are going to be discussing some newsy elements that have come up in F1 over the weeks that we have been away, which is nine days, which Nigel was saying is our biggest gap since like May, which is quite impressive. So hopefully you've missed us. If you haven't, then we're back anyway. If you have, then we're back. It's this episode, that's how podcasts work. Freddie, how are you? I'm all right. I'm a bit under the weather, as you can probably hear from my voice if you're a regular regular listener of this podcast. Um, but I was just going to say, to be honest, I've quite enjoyed having a, a three-week gap between races, to be honest, at this kind of point of the championship where we've just had an announcement of 24 races, which we're going to get on to later on as well. A little three-week gap has been all right. I have as well. Uh, I've had to write a lot about tennis over the last week. Uh, I probably did about 24 hours over two days on Friday and Saturday, which was absolutely uh fine actually yeah it was fine <laughs> no it, it, was, it was actually all right it's quite emotional as well it's a phenomenal time to cover tennis though nigel to be fair so, yeah uh, I if know, we want to just cause... stray off from being the winging at f1 podcast to being the um roger federer racketing it racketing it yeah racketing it but that could be a money laundering podcast um <laughs> yeah well, no, you cannot be cool. serious podcast like how's that been like the tennis recently I think you just take off the podcast for that. I think it would just be you cannot be serious, and then that'd be it. It's like you are listening to you cannot be serious, and then like that would be when they talk. Like, was retiring, and they go, "You cannot be serious," and then it'd like that'd be the thing that you did every. But then you had to decide if you're being serious or not. And if we're being serious, Nigel, what was you on the tennis? Again, I forgot. Yeah, just like what has it been like covering like Roger Federer's final oh, tournament? Great. I mean. Uh... I had to generally on Friday. I'll be serious with you. I had to st- after I did the report. I had to stop writing just to like watch it basically because it was actually quite. Because I don't get emotional, but it was a bit like kind of sad with him crying and Nadal crying and they held hands as well at one point. I don't think the, all the cameras picked it up, but some did. Uh, and yeah, it was amazing. It was obviously obviously he's one of the greatest sports people in the world. It's like, and you know, in F one only Bruce Halton has that kind of effects is that kind of effect of that kind of name uh leaving the sport so yeah it was good uh and then yeah it's just doing my job <laughs> as, as uh, yeah, uh, says. <laughs> well done you well done you because that's yeah that's serious proper you know it's, it's to be honest not not putting down tennis but it's quite rare a lot of the time that the world turns and looks at tennis and yeah. it's quite rare, rare anyway that anyone looks at a swiss sports person and that's you know phenomenal stuff for federer so well done you for covering that. That's really cool. Just yeah, I'm just fanboying over you now. Oh, I'm just enjoying you. Nigel showing emotion on the podcast. The first <laughs> oh, time in the nice. that you cannot episodes. be serious. Podcast is being serious. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's great. We should yeah, we should do tennis more often. We just need someone like oh, Federer yes. to retire every week, which is easy. When did Andy <laughs> Roddick retire? 2012, after the US Open. Oh. God, we've been waiting ten years for this, guys. <laughs> And anyone who doesn't know one, it's not just F1 for me, every other sport in the world. Like, because we obviously, you know, if you're new to the podcast, I literally watch everything, even skiing. When did Wayne Gretzky retire? Oh, I don't know that. We should have done a big ice hockey special. I don't know enough ice hockey, um, like, quips to be able to name it, though. <laughs> I'll puck off. Oh, <laughs> That's good. That's very good. It's not good. It's the bottom of the barrel and then beyond it, but thank you. Brilliant. I think I want want to become an ice hockey fan and make you become an ice hockey fan just so we can then start the podcast called Puck Off. Oh, yeah. I mean, Wayne Gretzky is the limit of my ice hockey knowledge. That and the beginning of Happy Gilmore, which is a film about golf. (laughs) I reckon you could could, make the logo, but put a puck over like the curve bit of the P so it would look like an F that's what I'd do then it would just say F off yeah then it's not a pun anymore <laughs> no but it's still it's slander to your audience <laughs> <laughs> so and all they might the winging it F1 podcast yeah uh, Sorry, the winging it P1 when... podcast because of P's and F's these days when did uh, Leighton Hewitt retire 2008, I want to say. We, we might well have been too young then. 
I feel like it was after that, but you know, we can uh, work on that through the episode. Um, I thought you were a podcast, wasn't 2008? Was it double? Oh, yeah, it was. Leighton Hewitt, come on, right? Oh, bloody hell, man. We go, we go it's an F1 topic. podcast. <laughs> go on. I like how we walk Nigel, what do you think about Yuki Tsunoda? 2016 I... and 2020 no, from double. So he played double for four years. Well, doubles. Uh, oh, there. Yeah, Sonoda. The, the, Let's talk about Sonoda. You cannot be serious, podcasters, There's... no more. Um, there's been there's been a lot of news hasn't there since we last did, did a podcast. So basically, basically this is there's been a lot of news since we last did a tennis podcast. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, that as well. Uh, let's talk Sonoda then. Thoughts: good decision, bad decision, wrong decision, right decision. It's a decision. That's kind <laughs> of all decision. I can say on it. It it's, it seems. I think this is what I said in our silly season podcast that it just it feels like Yuki has done enough to deserve this and not everyone gets what they deserve in F1 and that you know that's not new to AlphaTauri slash Torosso but yeah I just think for what it is he's he's shown sparks over in good and bad ways really over his team radio which is a bad way but also on track and on pace I think he's shown well over the two seasons he's been in F1 especially this season I think he has made steps forward and he deserves that the shot to see if he can take another step forward next year. So I'm pleased about it because it felt like it would be quite a Marco Red Bull move to pull him after two years of not setting the world alight, I guess. Yeah, I, I think I can echo that with Adam, to be fair. It is, he has done a good, a much better job than he did in his rookie season. In reality, he was lucky to get this second chance and Rebel drivers have been sacked for less than he's done in this year as well. But, and he's come at a good time in that regard, but he has performed well. And I've said this podcast already, relative to Gasly, he's performed better and relative to his performance last year, he's performed better, but the car is worse this year. And I think the fact that his, his 2022 season is way better than his 2021 season with a comparatively worse car says a lot about his performance this year. Um, And, there are, there are elements of it that the churn isn't there in Formula One at the moment to maybe get rid of him, granted. Um, but, you know, he's done a good job. And, yeah, obviously there is an element of it. It's taken a bit longer to announce than perhaps you could have wanted. I mean, Gasly was officially signed up um, a long time ago at Alpha Tauri. And, um, and if they were kind of definite about Yuki Tsunoda, you think it would have been happened happen sooner. But, yeah, he, I think he's warranted it. And he's on weekends this year has been the faster driver. There are obviously, there is obviously lots of levels of scruffiness to his performance. He's the first driver I can remember to get a reprimand penalty. Um, and that's after them upping the reprimand limit to five rather than three, which is where it was last year. So the trips to the stewards needs to stop. And um, a, f- a few more kind of needs to get earn the trust of the team a bit more, in my opinion. But I think he can do that in the third year. And Franz Tost always says three years to develop a driver anyway. Um, and sure, why not? Let's actually use that metric of Franz Tost's for once. Yeah, I'd have to agree with as well. Uh, I think he has performed enough. He's much closer to Gasly, probably being a match for him overall. If you weigh everything up, definitely in terms of pace anyway. Yeah, Fred is right. The incidents, he has to stop the mistakes, which is Canada and uh, driving out the pit lane on cold tyres and crashing and Belgium in Q2 when he locked up at the bus stop chicane when he should have got into Q3 just those small errors at the right time which we saw last year as well but it's much better to have it this way a driver who's you know he's not the quickest driver we've ever seen of course he has I don't think he has shown the potential from his F2 and F3 days yet which could come but he's still got enough speed and it's easier to iron out mistakes and inconsistency uh, rather than having it the other way around, you know, being slow and consistent, uh, which some drivers are. <laughs> uh, so I think he can improve. In fact, I think he will improve. I think, I think he's he's looking. Oh well, he's fortunate in a way. The Red Bull culture has changed in terms of how they treat the junior drivers. I think the Honda aspect is a bit of a factor as well, but. He is here on merit, uh, and if depending on who his teammate is next year, he's got to be beating them for me, I think, next year. 
Well, that that's what I was going to ask next is what does the future hold for Sonoda beyond next year? Because I think while we've all said it's the right decision to keep him on, I certainly don't think he's shown enough in his first two years that I can see him being a successful Red Bull driver, seeing how other drivers have tried and failed there. And I think Albon and Gasly both did better than Sonoda has in their first stint at Red Bull, uh, sorry, um, Torosso. So what is the future for Sonoda beyond next year? Does he need to show that he can lead Alpha Tauri? Will he be looking for a move away? I think, I think he's going to have a big year. I think he's going to be at Red Bull in 2025. I think he's going to seriously improve. That's my That's bold, fun. bold prediction. That's a really fun, bold prediction. It's different to what I was going to say. Um, I was going to say Yuki Tsunoda needs to watch his back next year because that's when a few drivers could come into their own in the Red Bull driver programme. He's lucky they haven't this year, but you need to look at where Isaac Hadjar is and where Ayumi Iwasa are because they are the more impressive of the Red Bull feeder programme at the moment. Um, granted, um, Iwasa's debut season in F2 hasn't been as impressive as Yuki Tsunoda's debut season in F2, but Hadjar's F3 was better than Sonoda's F3. So, I mean, that's a horrible way of judging drivers, let's be honest. And you should lambast me for that. But um, really, Yuki does have to be kind of look back and Rebel will be thinking about that because if they're having to go outside their pool again to get his potential future teammate for 2023 with um, a very talented Nick DeFries now, um, who's not... Is not is let's be honest he is still a stopgap driver because if he was wonderful what he there's something about rebel which is very at the moment which is i'm i think is appalling in their driver academy management which is very much a flavor of the month kind of team it's kind of like oh everyone's talking about colton herter why don't we try and get him oh everyone's talking about defreeze why don't we try and get him and you know they seem to be offering the best things to these drivers because they're, they're the teams that drivers end up wanting to go to but it kind of means they need to keep on sonoda for that kind of thing um, to have a, just a mainstay and have a Red Bull presence in that team. Um, I think that's fine, though. I think it's fine. Oh, I do. I do. I do. Um, but it does just speak of the kind of the point where there's no clear driver strategy in that team. One that's there has been one for 15 years of it being in Formula One. Um, Ultimately, though, if there was, if Lawson and those and Hauger, etc., if they haven't performed, which they haven't, then this is what has to happen isn't it though that's true that's a good point that's a good point it's down to the f2 drivers who haven't performed rather than red bull because they can't control how well a driver's going to perform can they no that's very true but doesn't that speak to who they're picking well that i think that's the interesting thing is will they kind of have a clear out or you know a well you know that that's a kind of you know, given its people's futures, that's not the best way of putting it. But, you know, will they look to refresh the academy? And because I think, you know, Liam Lawson, I don't know, it feels like he's kind of had had his chance. He's, you know, not the one that's being talked about at the moment where he was a few years ago when he went to racing series when he came into F3. Dennis Hager, I'm still not convinced by, but, you know, I have to see on that. And um, Daruvula, he's just kicked around for ages. So, you know, I don't... Um, it, I think it is a kind of period where they might be looking at, you know, what they've got at the top of the academy and, you know, thinking we can maybe replace this with new faces at the bottom of the academy while the people we've had in the mid-tier in F3 are moving up. Yeah, and I think yeah. those new faces are there. We just, we just haven't seen them yet. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Probably right. There is a kind of a necessity for a stopgap, but that necessity has kind of been there since 2018, 2017. And when they brought in Hartley, when they snapped album up and seemed to just didn't really want to, when they were forced to go for Perez, things like that. It's, um, it does add up and it doesn't, doesn't, does kind of speak to, well, we have to see what happens next year. have to see what happens next year. And it never kind of finishing flourishing and drivers like Charles Leclerc, Lando Norris, George Russell have missed, have slipped through their fingers and things like that, which I do think is a, criticism to be honest worth making um you're right you can only ask the drivers to perform and if they're not performing you can't blame rebel but you kind of you can blame a driver academy for not selecting drivers that aren't working in my opinion hmm. um uh, but every every driver academy is gonna have at least one superstar aren't they? the mercedes ferrari red bull that's what's happened doesn't it yeah but then the driver from the rebel russell leclerc I'll come up and say driver academy. That would be no, no, of course not. But the only, um, but the only driver who's come up since um 
2018 as a Red Bull driver into Formula One is Sonoda. Um, Gasly came in 2017. Yeah, well, every other that. driver academy is the same, only one or zero. But then, but then they've not got the seats in the way that Red Bull do. Okay. Um, in the way that they actually have a junior team, they've got Gasly's still there. Um, yeah, he had his chance. Ferrari, at Red Bull. With the Haas links they used to have, or Alfa Romeo. I don't, yeah, it's not the same comparison, I don't think. I mean, yeah. you, well, then I guess you could say you've got Leclerc, Giovinazzi, Schumacher have all come onto the grid. Um, if you want to make that comparison, Russell was into Williams um, and that kind of thing. Uh, there are, you know, there's motions around this, but um, I don't know. I do think if Sonoda's in his third year in Formula One and we're still kind of thinking, and Adam's asking the question of where will Sonoda end up? And for me, he ends up as kind of like, he could be a reasonable midfield driver if he stays in that kind of boat. I don't think he's in the position of knocking on the door of, um, it's a travesty that he's got a third season at the Toro Rosso level, like a Carlos Sainz had, um, because I we're still talking about his development phase. So for me, I don't look at that and think, oh, well, he's knocking on the door of Red Bull. I look at that and he's knocking on the door of WEC, to be honest. So it's... <laughs> It, but yeah, you know what I mean. Like I don't look at him yeah. and think, I don't look at him and think he could be a worldy midfield driver like a Hulkenberg was or like Perez. I don't look at him like that, and I do think he's been a solid driver. But I, I think that's, I don't know if his peak is solid driver, and I think that you think that the driver's worse on the grid. But I mean, yeah, that's a different question. But um, yeah, that's kind of, I, 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 am I making myself clear on that? I feel like I'm spouting. Yeah, I, no, I, I, I still say hands down the Red Bull had the best driver academy academy over the last ten years, hands down. Oh, I would hands down agree with you, but I think it'd be an interesting question to ask in five years' time. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When other when other academies have had a bit <laughs> more time. Yeah, it is it is that thing. It's not. It, it is kind of hard to compare across because Red Bull were just there before, so far before anyone else, really, apart from Lewis Hamilton being the McLaren Driver Academy for about 10 years. But apart from that, yeah, um, I, I think it is is worth, and I brought this up before, this is Sonoda's fourth season out of F4. Like he is, although he's going into his third season of F1 now, then, you know, he did have a very rapid rise up through the ranks. So, yeah, it's... Can it's just whether he can have that breakout season because I think he really needs to have a big season next year. Like I just don't really, Freddie Capture and be real. I just don't see. This happened last time as well. What's going? Every time we do a podcast, yeah. I know. What's on? Well, I mean, it's it's it's, it's, it's actually twenty minutes late, but oh well. Um... Oh, oh well, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave mine then until I finish my point. But um, the but three drivers oh, who I wrote right. down and I want to ask how it affects Gasly, Djokovic, and Porsche. So do you think it changes whether Gasly will stay or go, whether Red Bull care so much if Gasly stays or goes? And for Djokovic and Porsche, this was a seat which um, some of us had earmarks that they thought they'd go to, and now they haven't. No, I think it makes no difference to them at all. Yeah. Really. Definitely not to Gasly's situation. I mean, that's completely separate. And then those two drivers you mentioned, they'll be, I guess, looking to replace Gasly, but I don't think it will be. Well, maybe Djokovic out Porsche, but Porsche, I definitely know. Rebel don't really care about Gasly anymore. They they see him as a very good, safe pair of hands, but I think they see, think they can get that with Nick DeFries. Um, I don't think Felipe Drogovic hasn't been having the conversations that have been fruitful with them, and they're not looking at Porcher at all. I mean, I think Porcher was flashy when he was young, and then he's hit a ceiling in a way, unfortunately, because he did show a lot of peaks, but I don't know, those peaks haven't transferred in the same way that the reason they haven't signed Liam Lawson, the same reasons with um, drivers like that. So. How do you kind of take that slander? Uh, it's, it's the, uh, to be honest, I thought that was a relatively measured take on it because, you know, I normally rib you a bit about, oh, no, no, about no, the, no, the drivers you say, oh, yeah, sure. Christian Lungard, oh, terrible chair, that kind of thing. And, give you know, they... time. just like Sonoda, give Sonoda food, give poor share time. That's what I'll say. Mm, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens when we come on to Mick Schumacher. <laughs> well, because with Sonoda, you didn't give Callum what... Islet time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you have to go back to 2022, my thoughts. Uh, but no, last thing yeah. to is a lot. He has done a lot of his learning in F1, and I think that is very different to That's a lot true. of drivers who spend four or five years racing in Europe in different single seats of formulas. Whereas he he only just started racing in Europe in 2019, of course. So I think that is a factor as well as in why he's given a bit more leeway. 
And crucially, this year feels like he hasn't hit his peak. It feels like there's still yeah. an upward curve. Um, yeah. You could say a lot of drivers get into the second season and can can, can see a visible plateau, but yeah. the, you see the complete opposite with Sonoda, in my opinion. And I think you know that that warrants um, boxes in his favour, ticks boxes yeah. in his favour. Well, there we go. Any more points to make on Sonoda, or do you want to move on to a driver who hasn't been retained? I just want to say that, like, genuinely. Um, the more interesting seat is his teammate seat. <laughs> it is. What do you think is going to happen there? Well, like I said, I think it's going to be Nick DeVries, but um, it just he, feels like the there's a different, right different every race is a different rumour at that team. So interesting to see what happens in the, in the coming races and whether they end up in Japan and um, they've not announced anything and then Nick DeVries is signed for Toyota or something or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. So who knows? Actually, that is, that is like... There just doesn't seem to be any kind of movement on Alpine. But it, it's just they're still in this pretty radio silence. I know they said they had the... I think the, shortest... contract, I think the contract signed already goes to Alpine, I think. I think, I think, there's, I think there could be a letter of intent. I think... I think... Um, I, think <laughs> I think there's... I think, there's, I think Rebel Arm, I don't think they're going to go for anything until it's sorted. Um for them because they've been burned in the past but we don't we can be impatient on this because it's only september granted yeah. and sometimes we'd be lucky to have a grid sorted at this point and sometimes remember 2018 when in like october we all thought ocon and stroll were going to swap seats in for the last five races and stuff yeah. like that like yeah. this can run till february so yeah absolutely Which i would be surprised if it does <laughs> do you remember when um perez was going to williams for like a week where it's just like that's that's going to happen. And Russell was losing his seat. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, but I don't know. It it just it still seems a bit. Um, I don't know. I I think the contract side. Yeah, yeah, that's still. Feels... I, I do think there's probably ninety um, percent chance that De Vries has already signed something with AlphaTauri. Actually, to be fair, considering the way the the words coming out of um, Williams seem, you know, they've definitely got something sorted if they've definitely announced the rem the removal of Latifi, which we'll get onto, but it feels like you you'd probably have a replacement sorted with the way they've controlled that announcement. Well that that's the thing. It's like the Al Alpine still feels like the huge domino to fall, but there's just not kind of, you know, we we're talking about kind of, you know, Gasly and how he's affected by it, or De Vries coming in. It's like it is all still completely affected by what Alpine, what decision Alpine make, I think. But we will go on to Latifi, as you pointed out, Freddie, because he has left Williams for 2023 after three seasons in F1. Yeah. It's, that's how forgettable it is. I don't think any of us oh. are really surprised at this. No, we're not. Um, it was essentially confirmed in Saudi Arabia. Um <laughs> Well, to be honest, considering, considering there are so much. many rumours that um, Piastri was going to sign for that seat from race seven and race eight and that kind of thing, we've kind of known that Latifi's been out and for a long time. Um, and, you know, his third season has been a letdown, let's be honest. Uh, his second season earned him the third season. We've said that already, but his third season hasn't earned him anything. So, unfortunately, it's farewell to Nicky. Someone's got to be the worst driver in F1 and this year. That has been Latifi. Last year, you can make an argument that it wasn't. In fact, you can make a very solid argument that it wasn't last year. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But this year, in fact, any driver who is the worst driver in a season, they should probably go, I think. Uh, and that's the case here. He's just been, he's shown absolutely nothing compared to Albon. Uh, I, think, I think it's the biggest qualified margin. And in the race as well, the race pace. Not there, then to be beaten by De Vries on his debut, that was the final blow. If 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 it wasn't confirmed before, then really. So so yeah. See, I think that's an interesting point that you made, Nigel, because given the strength of the drivers that are around the F1 grid at the moment, like I think we all feel that there could be a grid of twenty-four really strong rider uh, drivers there. Thirty-four. Then, well, it, like to. I don't think it should, there needs to be a situation where if you're the worst, like you're at, automatically out. I think it's just the situation that... Oh, no, I don't, I don't Lati mean Latifi, I just mean it well, should but, be. Yeah, but like, you know, Latifi isn't... Latifi just isn't 
kind of of the color if you look at his kind of junior career and what he showed then he wasn't of the caliber of the other drivers that are in and around the conversation so i think it is just you know it just goes back to this thing that there's not the best 20 right uh drivers oh bloody hell the best 20 drivers aren't <laughs> uh, too much cycle world championships i didn't, I didn't watch any of it as well because i kept forgetting that it was on australian time and so i get up and it's like oh it's finished he's a bsb <laughs> fan at heart but yeah, yeah. A sport apart from F1. <laughs> it you know, he's just one of those like yes, it's a shame that um that he's lost his seat, but it is there were other drivers who were as or more qualified to get into that seat in the first place. So yeah, I think it's oh, I, I could say that for half the grid. You think? Well, let's not get into that debate. Yeah, it's too much. You can get in for every seat everywhere. Yeah. You can always say there's other options and things Absolutely. at the time. Even though even though this is the best f1 grid and last year's grid as well for decades you could definitely make a good argument for half the grid 100 percent. but that's the whole i think this is better than when ricardo rossett was there <laughs> the driver even murray walker said he shouldn't be there <laughs> I, I think it's an interesting it's an interesting thing i mean f1 doesn't exist in a relegation kind of system but it's a job mad if it did crazy if you promoted the leading f2 team to f1 everyone's like what the hell's going on um, <laughs> um and then you just got williams winning f2 by a counter um but you know there you do get elements of it where i think to be honest we're at a point we have been for quite a few seasons in formula one in my opinion where you can make that every f1 driver has got veritable moments um and moments which you know proved to them to be f1 drivers and let's be honest if we're talking about a driver who's um half a second off his teammate um if if, we talk, if that's five corners that's a tenth a corner if that's 15 corners then it's it's significantly less so like the actual fraction of difference is is minimal and it's it the fact the way it adds up makes them all makes them you know means we could be very flippant and say oh yeah latifi what a bad driver but um we've got to kind of i think it's it's very easy to throw stones and that kind of thing but no, like, I, I think i think every driver ends up being the stoners every, pretty much every every Good driver point. apart from Verstappen, Towson, or whoever you think the top three or four drivers are at the very best they're all very similar it's just who does it the most and who can do it consistently that's that's the difference i think every driver at their best there's probably not that much between them i think that's a great point actually yeah you would be yeah. ranking this on that, and i've thought that for all racing yeah. drivers all my life it's just who can, all it's your just life. Sport, isn't it? No, I have because that, it's our sport, isn't it? Who can perform and stay at the top every week? And some drivers can only do it twice a season, and that's not good enough. You've got to do it 23, well, 24 times next year. So, 24 times. So, firstly, any ideas about what's next for Latifi? What series do you see him in next? Ooh, I think he can make a damn good fist at a hypercar drive. Um, I think he's proved himself as a fairly reliable and fairly reliable driver and i think that suits very well to um a leading endurance seat um i could see him fitting in well there not being out of place i wouldn't see him being a superstar of 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 any team he's in say he's in a i don't know let's like a pick a random lmdh like a cadillac team or something say he's in that he wouldn't be out of place but he would wouldn't be the he wouldn't be the leading driver yeah and but i think he could you know could do a very good performance in that front I think he'll do something similar to Hulkenberg and be on the sidelines at least for one year. I'm not. I don't. I mean, I haven't really thought about it to be honest, but I can't really see where he goes. I think he's in a position where he's not an exciting prospect who's departed. Yeah. He's not like you, you take. I mean, Antonio Giovinazzi is a weird case study for this, but you take him last year. He snapped up into a Formula E seat. Um, was professionally paid for it and everything because he had proven that he had really good flashes in F1. Granted, he came to Formula E and had the most the worst season in international motorsport of anyone, and is still in. Which, I mean, to be fair, this is a different rant, but why the hell is he being spoken about in a Formula One breath at the moment after that season? To be honest, but anyway, um, like it's it's a harder thing to jump into a seat wherever you are. And I ranked Giovinazzi as a better driver what I did than Latifi, um, yeah. and. But I think, you know, he needs to be careful about what he does as his next step. But he's not going to have, there's not going to be a a clamour to get him as a professional driver, in my opinion. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that, that's the thing for me. It's like, it's not, the, like you say, there's not the excitement around him. So, yeah, 
and it's to. not easy out there. It's it's um, it not all championships have power steering and millions of engineers to help you. You've got to we, you've got to think about yourself a bit more. It could be a bit like Kubica. Well, we know Kubica brought a bit of money into the team, and Latifi could do the same, but not not sure which F one team, but he could do something similar, maybe. Yeah, I mean, even if even if Kubica's money is drying up a bit because he's getting a bit older, you'd think he could slot in Alfa Romeo, to be honest, with that kind of yeah. role. Um, or, or a hat like or somewhere like that. I can see that working yeah. really nicely for him. Yeah, so maybe that, yeah. I don't, I don't know if his sponsors would be willing to pay for that, is the question. Um, yeah. um, if his sponsors aren't, aren't going to front up anymore now, we don't know if that, if that how much of a withdrawal it is, whether it's a kind of agreement that, you know, we're not achieving and whether there's a lot of, from William's side, I think it's probably mutual. You don't. You, I don't think if you're a sponsor, you're going to front up loads to for the driver. I mean, whether you want to yeah. stay as a presence in Formula One is a different question, but um, we'll have to see. Well, see, speaking of having to see, what do you think about the William seat? Eye tests. Oh, yes. <laughs> My eye tests. We can ask Adam for that goal. Oh yeah, because I'm wearing glasses. Oh. <laughs> uh, the William seat. That is a great question. I think. Thank you. Uh, I think I said. Well, I said Drogovic and Sergeant for Alpha Tauri and William six weeks ago, so I'm going to stick with that. What you think, Drogovic and Sergeant are going to Alpha Tauri? That wasn't the no, question. No, for Williams, Alpha Tauri and Williams respectively. Sorry, oh, okay. I, did, I didn't mean that. I just said word. I, I forgot the key word there, which was Williams. Sorry, no, I might have misheard. <laughs> but you were sticking with Sergeant then. Yes, I, I think I mean, all roads leads to Sergeant at the moment. To be fair, depending on his Formula Two um, finale triumph or yeah. despair. He's I mean, in a position where he could very easily get a super license and could very easily lose a super license based on the sort of third to seventh positions of the Formula Two championship standings at the moment. Um, in that, he's pretty much at the same place as Dewan and people like that. So it's interesting, but I think, you know, he's got his FP1 outing in Cota. I think that would be an interesting moment for the team. Yeah, I think they I wanted De Vries. I think they've missed out on De Vries, to be honest. The other options are Mick Schumacher, Ricardo, Sergeant, who we've just mentioned, uh, Giovinazzi, perhaps? No. No, no. not Giovinazzi. No. Ricardo's probably said no, I think. Um, and Mick Schumacher is probably clinging on for his dear life at Haas. But, and I think if you, read, if you like what you read, if it's going to be a Hulkenberg Magneton lineup there, um, I don't know if Schumacher has done enough to kind of signal, you know, wave the flag in front of Williams' face to say, hire me, more than Sargent, who's one of their own crop, would have done, who's shown very good pace and can point to, you know, karting world champion, um, the only driver realistically in any championship who took it to Piastri. Um, and now Piastri is the hottest property in every market. So that's, the, and the, what he did, I think, it goes undervalued what he did in Sh- with Sharuz in F3. Um, because if you look at Sharuz, that team is consistently 29th and 30th in, form- in FIA F3. And he won a race with them. So I think that's, um, that, should be, that shouldn't be ignored and should be lauded. Um, so I think he, he's got, you know, he's, and he's acquitted himself pretty well. I think he's got very decent peaks. It's whether he can, you know, do well in a Formula One car. It's a sergeant, yeah. Your sergeant, yeah. yeah. Sorry, <laughs> who was I talking about? Just, just double checking, yeah. I, yeah, I still think Daniel Ricciardo. I was Ricardo. talking about um, Scott Dixon. <laughs> I Ricardo still think Ricardo for that. Yeah, I'm sticking by that. I just don't think he's. I think he's. I think his head isn't there right now. I think yeah. I think he just doesn't want to go to Hass or Williams. I think Hass have very openly probably put a contract in front of him, and he's gone. No, thank you. Mm. No, thank you. What do we think? Do we think Williams, like, is money even even a factor? Can they go for pure talent? Do you think? I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know. I think it's cheaper, definitely, to get Sergeant um, yeah. than anyone. Um, I don't know. It's to be honest, because it depends on the Doralton position. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we don't really know that much. They're a fairly secretive company, as they should be. They're a capital investment firm. They're not going to be. Um... They've done very well, by the way. Huge credit for what they've done for the team. The, the amount of investment they've put in 
has been like really good over the last two years. So yeah, exactly. Them, that's the first time I've credited them. So this has brought up a chance for it. I've credited them in the past, I think, but yeah. Nigel praises, you know, they should put that at the bottom Very of their website. Um, <laughs> Nigel's going to prepare just... prepare some, some graphics and send them over to them with like a little star. Um, just a Nigel um, endorsement. Yeah. I don't know what the symbol would be for that, but... Just it would just be something so blunt because it's Nigel. It'd just be just like a tick and Nigel there <laughs> with no emotion on his face, um, <laughs> like the little paper clip you'd get back in the day, um, Clippy. But anyway, um, sidetracking. I think the paper clip should get the William suit. Right, that's perfect. Um, is there anything else you want to say on this, or do you want to go on to calendars? I do think we could say perhaps Mick Schumacher is a good idea if you want someone who's got what going to have at the end of the season something near 40 Grand Prix starts. What well, well, I'd say Schumacher is not being noticed because the car, the Haas cars that hasn't been very good, you know, been second worst or worst car recently. They've been just as good, if not better, than Magnussen over the last three or four races. It's just like if you think about Monza, for example, he didn't get any practice because uh, FP1, he was. Uh, and then he broke down all over the shop, didn't he? Yeah, he broke down FP2, clutch problem in FP3, but then he still beats uh, Magnussen in the race on merit, and I can't remember qualifying, but I think he even beat... Wasn't Magnussen... Did something happen to Magnussen? I don't think so. Which one of them had engine penalties? Oh, wait, on on lap one, Magnussen did have contact with someone. Yeah. That might be why. But even still... But no, your point stands and is correct, particularly Zanvoort, he got Q3. Exactly. In Belgium, he was just as good as Magnussen as well. It's just no one's noticed it because, again, the car hasn't been there. But the last three or four races, he's continued that upturn in form. I just wish people saw it. Steiner noticed. He said he had a good Monza weekend and then he said he's got a 50-50 chance of staying at Haas. So, you know, take take that what you will. I, I, think, I, well, I think the thing with Haas is that the, um, the damage has arguably been done there with sort of his early season stuff and he was saying all the right things and it just wasn't clicking and clicking clicking and then he had a good run of form and then it went away again and it was it was kind of like he there were so many elements of him being found out early on that's a horrible way of putting it because you're you're right he is performing pretty well um but i think that they're not convinced on how reliable he is as a performer in a way that other drivers i think in in their ears are namely Nico Hulkenberg for some reason, but I mean, he has proved reliable in his, in, in all of his seasons in Formula One. And I think to be honest, he was unjustly dropped in 2019, but um, it's an win- interesting choice to, to sack off a 22 year old, whatever he is, 23 year old Mick Schumacher for a 35 year old Nico Hulkenberg. But, and I think Haas want that ex- previous F1 experience. That's why Giovinazzi was linked to the seat. That's why Hulkenberg has been linked to the seat. That is the kind of, uh, not brand, but it's, it's what they want from a new driver. They don't want to take a rookie. They want someone who's previously raced F1. And I know personally that's not something I would like to see. I think that's what most people wouldn't like to see. But that is what Haas do. And I think that's what they will do. I think it will be Hulkenberg or Giovinazzi. And it's if on the, on the, the face of it, I mean, you can look at it and think, um, spent force, but he he came into look at Bahrain and Saudi Arabia for Hulkenberg. Um, he came into it. I've not driven a whole new regulation of cars. I've probably had quite a few hot dogs over the over the <laughs> winter break and so on. But the outqualified Stroll pretty well. I mean, you know, not to damn Stroll, but Stroll is no, is no slouch and had, had been testing that car. Yeah, he's been he's been decent at points and that kind of thing. And like you'd think at that point he should definitely have the upper hand on Hulkenberg, but Hulkenberg, to his credit, performed very well. So I think it's still there. It's still there for Hulkenberg. Whether it's a one year thing, whether Haas are looking at it and thinking we'll deal with this problem down the line, but we'll get someone in good for now, we'll sort it out, we'll have a Hulkenberg Magnuson lineup with two very reliable performers, but you know, there will be drivers who can slot in above that in the pecking order of drivers but they can see what opens up later down the line and they can play the field. But it does look like that you could, do you think for most teams, you can argue, make a case for sort of future driver lineups of that team. But you look at Haas and you think 2024, God knows what's going to happen there. And that's quite fun. <laughs> Absolutely. It certainly is. I was just, I was, I was making a note of uh, the last rookies to come into F1 and we're due a really good rookie, which may be Piastri. I don't know. 
But yeah, well, the, yeah. That was potentially, we've got Piastri, Sargent, De Vries as three rookies next year. Mm. From but what we've, we've been the, the last five have been Mazepin, Schumacher, Sonoda, Joe, and Latifi. Yeah. None of which have set the world alight. So you're going and back I'd to say the you've Norris, got two reliable performers there with Joe and Schumacher, and that's arguably it. Mm. I think Joe's probably shown the most, probably because he would, to be honest, allowed a bit of time to develop. You could say. I think, I'd say, yeah, I think Sonoda's the best from that list, but I don't think kind of Fair. not that inspiring. So, dude, no, there's no one above six and a, oh, no one above five and a half out of ten. Yeah. And it's that like it, it's that thing where we all want that, to see yeah. no, we, no one above eleven out of twenty. We, we we want to see drivers coming on to the grid and seeing new faces and new talent. But when you look at that, you kind of get why people do want to go for more kind of reliable. They don't just want to throw it out for you yeah, know. It's a good point. Get new drivers in wherever you can because you know most aren't superstars. That's just how it you is. You kind of think you look at the recent crop of drivers who's really earned the way to force themselves onto the grid. And I could, you could look at a lot of drivers in... Sonoda. Sonoda. Okay, that's one out Piastri. of five. Yeah, that, that's all. But, but the other but that's it. But like, you look at what, who else is there to kind of bring in as a junior. And kind of, if we're, we're talking about Mick Schumacher as potentially, you know, a Formula 2 champion in his second year with time to develop and so on, being given, you know, the boot and not performing well enough and things like that. And performing just kind of average. And... That a it doesn't look good on Formula Two, and b it doesn't. We're kind of thinking like, oh, it's just like middling, and you kind of think, well, is there a bit of stagnation in this market? Where do we need to be looking? That's obviously why Formula One's looking at IndyCar and things like that. And finally, you could say, and potentially having a Formula E world champion going in there, but um, but it kind of makes it look and kind of think you kind of think, okay, there's a weird kind of period in Formula One at the moment where maybe we need to look at look back at the way sort of rookies are brought into Formula One. It's not necessarily giving them the chance, you could say, for some drivers who could be very good if they're given the time to shine. Maybe that somebody you need to look at sort of young driver testing and things like that. But as a some regulatory methods across the field. But cost well, we cutting know money, money is still an important exactly thing, so that's exactly why Mazepin, Latifi to some extent Schumacher have and Joe. And Joe, yeah. So that that is why. Mm. Yeah, I'd, but that's you know, the thing. I, like, like, there's the money side of it, but um, you can look at there's a, some some drivers. In hindsight, it's a wonderful thing. But say we're looking at, let's take Mazepin coming on for example. Obviously, a wrong choice. But say Islet was in that seat, I think we'd all be in a similar boat with him and Schumacher anyway. Just sort of saying like, oh well. And yeah, I, I think all the sort of drivers that people are sort of clamouring for in place of the the financial drivers wouldn't have performed enough anyway for us to be sort of touting them now as having deserving to stay too much to the next season. Absolutely. It's, so, like, it's like De Vries. Everyone's, you know, hoping him up and, you know, he should get a seat. But if then if he doesn't perform next year, then you can't just go, oh, you know, oh, why did you put him in? Hang on, you all wanted him in the seat six months before. And that's, that's yeah. what's happened. To be fair, been, Nigel, I don't think you, we have so many people going, why did you put him in? I think people do genuinely counteract what they say not without sort of just pretending they knew it all beforehand to be fair but i you, you get a lot of people saying you know does he deserve to be an f1 that would you know the questions come very quickly i think yes like, and yeah it's and that's and, why i think the is an interesting one because he's a driver who um was definitely um impacted when he was in his junior career by being so single-minded and focused on formula one and i think and that held him back and when he sort of opened up and has done so much more has done lmp2 drives and weck and tests and hypercar has done formula e to a very high level and 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 sort of relaxed as a driver he's performed much better and and is in the process of arguably you could say being one of the more shock forces onto the formula one grid and if he performs then it would be a very interesting um um template for future drivers you could say in a way of yeah. um allowing a driver to develop more and sort of understanding that we, we always talk about where drivers peak and things like that. They can, they don't have to peak when they're 19 going into formula two, you could, you know, you can peak at 26 when you've arguably failed in formula one and that can be a bit depressing. So it might be quite, it might be quite nice for De Vries to come in and do well and sort of completely change the way formula one driver markets are 
viewed. Obviously, it wouldn't suit FIA funding Formula Two and Formula Three. But um, you know, it's 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 a really interesting mould at the moment. Mm. I think out of that list, I don't think there's anyone that I'd take over Hulkenberg. And that's I don't I don't like think you know it, he he's out there. He's got the experience. He's performed at multiple teams and he's performed well on short notice when he's coming in four races over the last three years so it's not you know I think it'll be when he's match fit yeah so it's it's not you know and i i i've i wasn't like someone you know who's an absolutely massive hulkenberg fan when he was in the sport but i just think you look at you know when you there's there's this clamor for rookies to come in but actually when you look at what they've done over the last few years compared to what hulkenberg could have done then i think there are questions to be had there but yeah, hmm. there's a couple of drivers who should get the seat over Hulkenberg. Go on, Drogovic, hundred <laughs> percent. So, and then you can, and then I guess, I guess it just depends who you think is talented. So for me, it'd be Porsche. I suppose what? Okay, what would you? What would you? If you you're say you're um, uh, Günther Steiner here, and you've got two phone numbers in front of you, and you're weighing it up between whether you phone Drogovic or Hulkenberg. Drogovic. Um, yeah, but what 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 are your pros and cons lists then? Uh, he's the Formula Two champion, and if you want to be successful over the next few years, you've got to take a driver who deserves a chance in F1, rather than someone who it will be, could be race rusty, hasn't driven for three years, uh, and is getting a bit older. Yeah, I certainly don't think he's going to be at his peak Hulkenberg. I'd be shocked if, if that happens. Whereas you could take mm-hmm. someone who could become, you know, I'm not, I don't think Djokovic is going to be a future world champion, but you never know. He could have that potential to be similar to, I don't know, a Gasly or something like that, or Ocon perhaps have that potential. I'd always back someone who's just won the Formula 2 championship or you know, could win it by over 100, 120 points or something, rather than someone who's, who's yes, he's done a few races here and there, but he hasn't raced for three years. I mean, even Alonso was only out for two years. And that's Alonso. And Alonso's come back in and done really well and been older. Well, that's Alonso, that. isn't it? Hulkenberg is not. You know, no, but uh, Hulkenberg is, Djokovic is not Hulkenberg, you could say. Hulkenberg is a rookie um, F2 GP2 champion in um, a few years ago, granted, but then you look back at his, his career, he got a pole position in his, admittedly a lucky kind of qualifying, but a pole position in his rookie year. He got, um he, he burst onto the scene through A1GP and then did very well in, I want to say, Formula Renault, but I'm not sure, World Series. And and has got a glittering CV in a way that Drogovic only has, you could say, Formula 2 on a third attempt Hulk, after Hulkenberg a failure known, in the second year. He's the known property, but it's just so conservative. We, we know he's good. Conservative. It's, how, like, like what what you said before about if you want to be successful in F one, you you hire a driver that deserves it, and then you know the Hulkenberg might be race rusty and whatever. Like you hire the best driver out there. Yeah, I don't think there's a clear difference between Hulkenberg and Djokovic, and it's not you know it's not as much as we'd like everyone who deserves an F one seat to get an F one seat. Like you know, it's not. I don't think you don't get points for that in the championship it's not anything like that i just think you know if you've got a whole combo using make... that logic though in why in 2019 did this one time jensen Button because jensen Button was still a pretty good driver when he retired we can't just keep going back two three years to the past you've got to give these new champions in f2 f3 a chance but then that's yeah. not your head on the block for that this but is what you... i mean like no, if because you... an f2 f3 champion is better than getting an old driver who's a solid driver yes but from two, three years ago, that is always the case. So do you have I think, uh, I think Hulkenberg over Schumacher? Though. Well, the thing at is, at the I'm, time, I'm, yes, at the time, uh, yes. Now, would you have Hulkenberg over Mick Schumacher? The way Schumacher has performed over the last six, seven, eight races since Canada, yes, yes. If you're Haas, but he's an F2 champion. Once, one second. If you're Haas, and every rookie you've had hasn't necessarily done great for you, and you've done better with the drivers that have performed better for you. Uh, drivers that have performed with experience that you've got externally. They've already had two rookies. Well, uh, yeah, I've been generous to count Esteban Gutierrez and that, to be fair, but a driver <laughs> yeah. didn't really perform, to be fair. Um, but, but that's the thing, like, you know, it is a small pool, but, and drivers, like, in uh, FP1s and things like that, they haven't really been convinced by. You would go for a driver, surely, that's got a record that's been convincing rather than 
putting in a rookie that has had a less convincing junior career than the one you're getting rid of? It's just too conservative, I think. That's all. Yeah. It's, it's far too cautious to go for a safe, a safe pair of, of hands, let's say, rather than someone who could be... But, why, but for Hass's position, what do you, do you think a safe pair of hands is a bad thing for Hass's position where they kind of... Say, with that kind of team wants reliability to kind of, you know, be getting decent results from the get-go. Do you not no, think that's, that's a good point. I think, for, yeah, you're right. Hass is the kind of exception because... Look, I think even they think they're not going to be at the front or getting podiums out of it. So that is a good point. Uh, you've got me on that. I'll give you that. <laughs> see, see, this is this is what I mean. Like, if, if you're it's a, a tricky conversation with yeah. both sides of it, as Adam's about to say, probably, but yeah, both sides of it work. Yeah, I just I think if you're looking at that list, I don't think between all of the drivers, then I don't think there's much that Djokovic has that the other drivers don't have. And there's, you know, there's good talent within that and it's just not I think if you're looking at that then I don't see why you wouldn't like Hulkenberg in your seat really I think you know it's not where our position is we want exciting young drivers in the sport if you're a team boss then like Freddie said I don't think a safe pair of hands is the worst thing and yes Drugovic could be a superstar but he also could come in and flounder and not be able to Get, I do know Hulkenberg is going to be good. Three years on. Because three the years. three years off, he's done um, five races and performed well in them. Mm. I don't know. And that's, that's with that no... That does make sense, though, but he's not... With he's no like, off-season training, rest. anything like that. You can say... It's right to say that he's race distance unfit and stuff like that. That's right to say. Every every driver is not raced in Formula One in the season before is in that position. Dragovic would be a bit better, and because he's done sort of half distance races um, at a lower level and things like that, but hasn't had any F1 testing. Um, for, really, if we're weighing it up like that, but Holkenberg's a very big simulated driver. Has done a lot of that kind of stuff. He's 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 got a lot of sort of F1 now still in his knowledge and has proved that on track for a significant amount of seasons and recently. So that lends itself to, as a safe pair of hands, a safe pairs of hands go, you know, they're pretty safe. Mm. And, and I think, safe. I think, yes, yes, he could, you know, I think Drugovic has probably a higher ceiling and a lower floor. You know, it's not, it's bring him in and yes, he could be an absolute superstar star, or yeah, like I said, he could not, be up to scratch and there's not you know as, as much as f2 is the best we've got right now then it's still no guarantee that you are going to perform in f1 so yeah i just think you know it's not when it's announced or, it, or if it's announced well i, th- I think like i think i say this the, could go on till february yeah it's really yeah, good it could really yeah. go on and, longer yeah I'm, in, I'm, um bahrain going to courts It'd be brilliant <laughs> You know, and I'm, I'm not trying to slander, slander Drugovic or anything like that. I'm just, I think the wider point of, you know, as fans, we want to see rookies in. But yeah, I think it's an interesting discussion. I think we've had an interesting so discussion fans, you want on to see it. Rookies, but you also want to see fan favourites. Yes, like, that is also a hard one. I don't have any favourites still, do I? Emma Raducanu. Anyway, moving <laughs> on to the calendar, which was, an, I don't know, when was it now? This week? Last week? Last um, week, last week. Yeah. and it's 24 races. Imagine that, and a big number. Yeah, I'm not even 24 yet, neither am I. <laughs> as you could have a race for every year I've been alive, and it wouldn't be as long as the calendar next year. It'd be a very weird way of naming Grand Prix, but anyway. <laughs> and then, when, what the, the Heineken 18th year of Adam Dickinson, that kind of thing. Um, Casio, please. Private school, 12th year. I did go to a grand school when I was 12, yeah. Would that oh. would that would they sponsor a Formula One Grand Prix? What's the we, 12th round of the year? Is that what Zanvoort or something? Would they sponsor the Dutch Grand Prix? We, we've um, talked about having a Henderson's Relish Sheffield Grand Prix before. Yeah. Yeah, but they haven't. No, <laughs> that is fair. Um, but yeah, uh, serious calendar talk. It's a big calendar. Um, there's one triple header in it. No, there's two triple headers in it. Um, that's a lot. There's not really many big gaps. Um, people were kicking off about Spa moving and moving every other international calendar and, and national calendar in the world. And, you know, that's fair enough. Formula One probably could be a bit better at dealing with this a bit quicker um, just before everyone else signs everything. But 
these things happen. Whether China will happen, we don't know yet. And a little bit, as much as you know, we want a Chinese Grand Prix, we also kind of don't want everyone to be doing too much. Um, so who knows? Maybe it'd be a blessing if China doesn't happen again. But um, yeah, um, to be honest, we've said everything we need to on sort of three American races and things like that. Um, Spa's still there. France isn't there. To be honest, just put Mugello on the calendar and 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 no, stack somewhere else. Need to get Far too many. They've gone well. It's a joke. They've gone well past the limit. And the fact that the teams only found out two hours before, if that, some teams, you know, if you didn't have your phone, oh, bad, probably yeah. didn't even know. That is an absolute disgrace, quite frankly. It's an absolute mockery to all the employees, all the resources to book hotels, play and all of that, to find out like that. That is not right at all. And 24 is just far too many. And I'm saying this is someone who hasn't, you know, been to an F1 race as a journalist yet but it's just and it's so easy to say as a fan sitting on the couch oh you get to fly around the world best job in the world and all that it, it is not the best job just, when you're on a flight from brazil to qatar or whatever it is or it, the other way it's, around it's just too many and think about the teams who have to get there on the wednesday set up and then they leave on the monday they get there on they, the, the monday really well there you go yeah and then they have to leave they're there for the longest it is just far too much now. They've got to cut some... I mean, they won't, obviously. But it's gone beyond the limit. Beyond the limit by far. 20. That's what it should be. 20, is, to me, seems like the right number. One, one, one above, one less, okay. But 24, and I, I know you might say, oh, it's just two or three more races. That's a lot. It's that a lot, is yeah. an extra two flights <clears throat> either way. It's, a, it's an absolute... It's just not right. I've got massive problems with it. Uh, and that is my rant over. Okay. Uh, which four would you cut? Oh, I don't know. I've not thought. But that's the, just... that's the problem. Like, as, as much as I agree, I think it is too many, and to be in that position, it's, you know, it's, yeah, to have to have that workload of just 24-7 being on the job, which is what you are when you're at fly, fly away races, then it is round the clock, you are in that F1 environment. So yeah, I, I agree on that, but I think it's then when you start looking at which ones are you going to cut, they're not going to cut the, the money spinning ones. So it then comes down to the fan. That's the thing. Like the That's the thing. All of them classics. arguably earn their way, have earned their place onto that grid and you can make a compelling case for pretty much all of them. I think socioeconomically, um socio socially particularly there are a few races that are really kind of uncomfortable sort of your your Bahrain's your Saudi Arabia's your Qatar's um yeah. all of those in sort of quite you know poor countries when it comes to um records but rich countries when it comes to money and as much as you know you want to believe that there's change going on in those countries because and you know Formula One's trying to make an impact on that kind of thing to be honest it as much as there is little change, little changes happening here and there, it's not big enough and it's still status quo. And that's a very easy thing to say from the West, but to be honest, it's a Western sport and things like that. And values kind of are um, triumphed for a reason. Um, and it's, it, it, those are, from a kind of idealistic point of view, you would want to be going to rounds you feel comfortable with people going to. Um, and from a fan perspective, enjoying watching there. Um, because it's all well and good getting excited for the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, but then sort of thinking back, like, oh, I don't really want to be excited for it, but also I am excited because it's a Formula One race. And I get excited it, for everyone one. will watch, already. You know, most exactly. people will watch pretty much every race. Yes, they might miss one or two here or there, but they'll watch nearly every race. And that's what Liberty, not F1, knows. They know as much as people will complain and tweet on social media. They will watch every race, and that's all that matters. And they will go to the races as well, even though ticket prices are rising, which is another topic. But there will still be 100,000, 200, 300,000 fans going to the races. Yeah. But, yeah. Then, yeah. but this this is what I mean. Like As, as much as I completely agree with your point, they're, they're there to stay. The three, um, or at least two American races, are there to stay, and the Middle Eastern races likewise. So then you're looking at, what, Imola, Monaco, Barcelona, Austria, Silverstone, Spa, they're the races that are at risk. So it's yeah. not, you know, as, as I agree with that, but then how do you square the circle of getting it down to 20 races when... Well, they, they, won't. Those... they won't. 
No, but which which would you take out? Question to oh, well, well, which would I whatever. take out? Obviously, it's going to be very different. I would take out the ones with the bad human rights. That's yeah, yeah no, do. but uh, that's not it, an option. So it's then if, if you're... The balance sheet is fairly simple then as well. You cut the ones that have had difficult contracts recently. Monaco, Spa, Barcelona, um, and somewhere else, which has a difficult contract. Uh, but then they'll get South Africa class. to replace them, won't they? So then, you know... I don't... No, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but if, if, if it's mandated, Nigel, come on, let's yeah. be... Let's play into this at least rather than just throwing yeah sorry no, like this, if, this... If, if, if it's like that then it's then you go for the ones that just can't front the money and that's easy to be honest and that's the ones i've just said and it's you kind of you can't really look at it with a kind of what do you do to kind of keep the status quo but then also keep the ones that pay the money like that's that's just impossible um and i think the only the only thing that can kind of really sort this out is kind of people working there from a sort of perspective that they're going to be so burnt out it's, it's fine for a team to sort of change people around but say uh, uh from a media point of view let's say like you if you're not sky sports you can't really send different people to different races if you're a freelance you've got to work every race and things like that so it's very difficult from that side of it and i think i don't i don't really see any way of things like this not happening now and that's a real shame but mm. that that's the thing to me to me it's like it seems like the choice is have 20 races or don't have brazil barcelona monaco and spa that seems like the choice like with where f1 is set up then that's where it is and yeah and who knows maybe f1 will be the poorer for it but we kind of and it's, it's defeatist, but I mean, I'm not in a position to fight about anything on this. It's, this is just the way it's happening now, isn't it? So that's it. Mm. Well, Nigel has checked out early from this podcast, so now it is time for us to do the same. We will be back soon with that ranty note. Yes, but yeah, um, but you know, we don't quit either. We are staying on. We're going to be doing a Singapore preview in the coming days and reacting to whatever other news happens then. But in the meantime, as Nigel has made an early exit thank you very much for listening and goodbye thank you very much